0: please pray with me. Lord, thank you for gathering us tonight. Thank you, even on this night when it is dark and rainy and kind of getting icky and cold, that you still have light in life, that you offer in your word through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would be with us tonight as we study and learn more about him, the bread of life. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would open our ears soften our hearts, help us to be able to see him as he really is, Uh, and I pray, Lord, that you'd be with me and help uh, my words uh, guide and guard them, that I would only say that which is glorifying to our Lord Jesus. We pray for those making pizza, that they would do it, (laughs) and that it would get here when it's supposed to. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I thought about as we come to this passage, uh, when you meet somebody when you meet somebody usually whether it's a, a new neighbor a new coworker somebody just in your gym, there are probably things that you like about people that are that you meet and things that you don't like um, and uh, the things uh, you may not get to see the, all those things right away, but as you get to uh, in, know somebody and become a friend with them, you're gonna see more of those things closer up, right? And the things that we like in our friends and the things that we, you know, if we're honest, don't like in our friends, um, we don't get to pick and choose, right? They're all interwoven all together, because uh, that's how people are. People have, uh, they complex and they have different personalities. And uh, as a, we might wish that our friend or our sister or our neighbor or our roommate or our boss uh, had some sort of different personality makeup of more of the things that we like and less of the things that we don't like. Uh, we might even think that we can fix them over time. Uh, but as a a teacher of mine once said very wisely, wishing somebody were different doesn't make them so. It doesn't make it different. Uh, and particularly to have a relationship with someone is to, at some level, accept all of it. Accept all that they are and who they are. Um, and that matters more and more the closer we are to someone. So if you have a close commitment, you are going to make a, a, like a business contract with someone or you're going to uh, you know, be, have a new roommate or you're going to be in a deep relationship and commit to marry someone. Like You're going to need to get to know them really, really well, right? And to accept all of it, uh, again, it matters more and more the closer that we are to someone. As we've been studying in the Gospel of John, John has been unfolding for us Jesus, his person, uh, who Jesus is. And John has recorded signs, what he is describing as acts of power and wonder uh, and his words are also signs. John wants us to see and hear these things about Jesus and uh, come to a specific conclusion. So open up your Bibles. We're gonna just remind ourselves of what John's aim is all this is written, not just to tell a nice story, but actually so that we could get to know Jesus as a person, who he is, and uh, not maybe as he, we wish he was, but actually as he is. So uh, John 20, 30 and 31, we've looked at these verses uh, a number of times, but we'll look at them again. This is what John is hoping, so he's not unbiased, just so you know that. If you, you might have a different opinion about Jesus than John has, though he was an eyewitness. So, uh, but just so you know, this is where he's coming from. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. And uh, so John wants us to see... Jesus in his fullness and such to see him so much that we are willing to not just commit to that intellectually. So like, oh, this is who Jesus is and that's nice and go on our merry way uh, and think about him on Sundays sometimes. Uh, but he actually wants us to see Jesus as having an exclusive claim on your life and on my life to the point where you cannot have somebody else in your life with more of an exclusive claim, a deeper commitment in your life. That is who John is depicting Jesus to be. And so uh, tonight, as we're studying the last third of John 6, uh, the bread of life discourse is what some people have called this chapter in in John 6, particularly starting in verse 25, I think. Uh, We're gonna have the rubber hit the road. Uh, We have, as we've gone along this journey of seeing Jesus uh, in these chapters of John, we have seen Jesus say things uh, and do things that are wonderful and amazingly good. Um, And then, but really this, and there's been different responses to that, like rising belief and rising unbelief. And this uh, week, we're going to get to a place where Jesus does not back down. He intensifies his claims as the bread of life. And he says things that are both amazingly good, promising abundant life and eternal satisfaction, and also somewhat slash very offensive. He's gonna do all that. Um, and he demands, Jesus, this Jesus, what he's saying, demands an exclusive commitment. He talks like he knows everyone's destiny and heart. And he says no one can come to him without God first drawing them. So he talks about the necessity of him in such terms as eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And we might want to just focus on some things about Jesus and avoid the other things about Jesus. But again, just wishing Jesus were something or someone different than we wanted him to be doesn't make him so, right? If if you are someone like I am who believes that Jesus is a real person, And he, in fact, is a real person and alive right now, seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. He is a person and he he has certain characteristics. And for you and I to encounter him, I suggest to you this is something that I think that we can learn tonight. Encountering Jesus as he is always demands our humility. Encountering Jesus as he is always demands our humility. Uh, Because coming to Jesus, remaining with Jesus, all that requires humility. He says he is not someone who can be dismissed or imagined away without dire consequences. And uh, so there's an overarching call to humility, and uh, we will see that. Let's just get into our passage tonight. Uh, There are going to be two sections. Uh, Jesus intensifies his claims as the bread of life, John 41 to 59. And then we will see Jesus' disciples' response to that. They divide, uh, six C through 71. So just two sections for that. Again, uh, we have been um, in this Bread of Life discourse. So open up your Bibles to John 6. And again, we're just gonna get the lay of the land. Um, welcome, if you were just joining us tonight and you haven't been here before, we're glad that you're here. Uh, you haven't, you, it's not too late. I'm glad you're here. Let's just like a quick recap um, for what's been happening in John 6. We see, if you see in 6 1 uh, down to 13, basically, uh, Jesus has fed thousands of people in the wilderness uh, with bread and fish, and so much there's an abundance left over. There was a response of that people, the crowd, 14 and 15, it wasn't a response that Jesus cooperated with. And so he withdrew. And then we see him in the next section, sixteen verses 16 to 24, Jesus walks upon the sea and comes out to his disciples who were on the, on the sea of Galilee, by the way, in the North. Uh, you can go there May not be super safe right now, but you can go there to Israel and see the Sea of Galilee. It's awesome. We'll also be in Capernaum, uh, and that's where they end up. This It's a city on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee in the northern section of uh, Israel there. And uh, so then when they, when Jesus is there, he ends up having, like there's a fallout that comes from basically interpreting or responding to the, particularly the feeding of the thousands, but probably with the Exodus overtones, the responding to also his disciples have to deal with the fact that he walked upon the waves to get to them. Um, so this is where we are in this section, and Jesus is claiming he's been interacting with the crowd. Uh, you can see that verse 24. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Uh, and then, so they engage with him. The crowd does in verses 25 through 34. And they're confused. Uh, he it says, I'm the bread of life. Uh, does he say that here? Yes. Uh, 35. Yeah. I'm the bread of life. Um, and he invites them to himself. They're like, yay, we want some bread. And he suggests what he says earlier is like, you're just looking for a meal, but actually there's something better. I'm, I'm the bread of life, Jesus is saying. And, uh, we don't see the crowd's response to him. Do you see that? Uh, we get a new, so that's where we are, uh, in verse 40, we're leaving off It has been that Jesus has been engaging with this large crowd. And now we have, by the way, 41 to 59, we have a new character for this section. Uh, At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? And so uh, just to pause a little bit um, the Jewish leaders, these are probably Jewish leaders, not like every Jew collectively because many of the people in the crowds were Jewish, right? And his disciples were Jewish. So, but in the, we have seen what John calls, John's narrator calls the Jews uh, as back as early as chapter one, they came out, there was a delegation, they interrogated uh, John the Baptist in 119. And then we see them next in uh chapter 2, verse 18, the Jews demanded of him what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this when he went in and, and cleansed the temple. And then we see them again. Uh, Nicodemus is a leader of the Jews, uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. And then the last time we've really seen them is chapter 5, verses uh, 16 through 18. So I'll just read that because this is the tenor presumably, I don't know, were they part of the crowd? I'm not sure. John doesn't tell us, right? Uh, but they are a difference. They're coming to him for different reasons, probably. So five, sixteen to 18, this is after Jesus healed a paralytic man. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, healing a, I guess, not paralyzed, he was invalid man. And um, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay. So that's kind of, we're picking up where that leaves off. So it makes sense then if that's what they're like they're just super mad to the point of uh murderously mad, right, trying to kill him because uh they don't like that he's saying his father is God, and so we have that uh, grumbling the proudness that they have, the pride they're they're most of the characters we've encountered in John have been taking Jesus' words. Literally, as you and I would probably have done too, right? But he is, has a deeper meaning. And so they're like, when he's talking about his father, like, wait, isn't Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? So evidently they were familiar with the northern uh, Galilee, the, these Jews. Um, and so, but because they know Jesus' earthly parents or they're convinced that they do, that he couldn't possibly come down from heaven. And so the question that they're asking basically is in 41, and 50, 41 to 51, what Jesus responds to, wait a minute, where does Jesus come from? Wait a minute, where does Jesus come from? And so uh, they, they are grumbling and that grumbling, by the way, echoes it pulls another thread on this Passover Exodus uh, illusion that we've been hearing, of Jesus feeding the the uh, Israel people in the wilderness, and that's been talked about in the previous section. And grumbling is something that the Jewish people did when they were in when they were in the desert. They grumbled because they didn't have water. They grumbled because they didn't like the food. They grumbled because they didn't want to go into the land that God had promised for them. And they were always consequences, well, often consequences for their grumbling. And so this word grumble kind of definitely aligns them more with that that group of people than it would with, say, a, a group that is believing and trusting what God has for them, Moses or Joshua or Caleb. Um, okay, so... Let's look at Jesus' response. He basically, in this section, Jesus intensifies his claims as the bread of life. So they're pushing back on what Jesus is claiming to do and be. And he has uh, there's two sections in this. Uh, the first is there. Wait, wait a minute. Where do you come from? How can you come from heaven? That's the first section that goes up to 51. And then the second one, these same Jews begin to argue sharply among themselves, and they're confused how or I don't know if they're confused or not, but they're angry. Anyway, um, how can this man give, him, give us his flesh to eat? Okay, so sorry. That was a big, um, hopefully that's uh, giving you some framework because we're just sort of launching into this discussion. We kind of cut off at this weird point. So there we go. Okay, so Jesus, his response part one. Uh, you can see it's in three parts. Verse 43, he says, stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. So it seems like he knew their hearts. He knew that they were grumbling. Um, the question is, and he moves on very quickly from that. He doesn't c- come back to the grumbling. Grumbling is correlated with unbelief in, old te- in the Old Testament. The question is, would they stop? Why did he bother? to say, stop grumbling. It is unlikely, and we're going to see, we don't know exactly that these, uh, that these Jews do stop grumbling, but we see many disciples grumbling in 60 and 61. That's one of the responses to Jesus' words. We see the crowd grumble in 732, and the Jews are still trying to kill Jesus in 7 uh, verse 1, so probably they didn't really changed our heart posture. But here's what I suggest. Just, I know this on one verse, but um, when Jesus commands something, this is a command. Commands are a test of authority. And what we do with Jesus' commands shows what we think about Jesus' authority. If they thought that he would have authority, they would have to deal with that and have to uh respond. And this group specifically we saw them our all question is authority in two hundred eighteen and it's unlikely that they're going to give him authority. So there's a theme of pride. Uh, okay, so we see after that command, 44 to 47, Jesus elaborates what he's speaking on in 35 to 40. This is presumably what the Jews objected to. And specifically, it's the relationship that Jesus is having, uh, claims to have with as the unique son of God. Uh, he is the son and God is his father. And so he he draws out these themes, uh, again, like who will see and believe in the son? Really? He answers that. Um, and these are things that he had prompted before, uh, are only those drawn by the father can see and believe that he is the son in verse 44, those who have heard and learned from the father in verse 45. And so, um, this doesn't reflect well on the Jews. Maybe I should just read the section, sorry. Uh, Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. So you see that there's a unity. You can't listen to God the Father, Jesus is saying, without listening and coming to Jesus the Son. Um I say Jesus the Father, I meant God the Father. Um and no one has seen the Father except the one uh who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. So there's only one who has seen God face to face in an intimate way, and that is Jesus. Is claiming to be that one, and yet uh, those you are not going to be able to see the Father unless you're willing to come and see Jesus. Seeing Jesus is seeing the Father, because Jesus is God, and there they have such a close unity and intimacy. Uh, so, and then he goes on in in these next verses, 48 to 51, he returns to the bread and eating metaphor. And he uh, says, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that come, came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. So you see that Jesus does not back away from his claims. He intensifies them. And uh, he's gonna continue to do that even more. This is, he's aligning himself with manna that came down in the Old Testament um, from heaven. And yet he is saying he himself is the kind of spiritual food that gives and sustains spiritual life. So just as manna sustained their physical lives, he sustains spiritual life. But the food that Jesus is has such life-giving, nourishing power that consuming Jesus in the spiritual way gives a spiritual life that never yields to death. So he is superior in every way to the, the manna of the Old Testament. In fact, so powerful is this spiritual life that Jesus promises, even though those who believe in him will die in this, you know, until he until He comes back, death is still reigning, right? And so, uh, and yet he is promising that the end of all things, the spiritual life that Jesus gives in himself to those who receive him, uh, will overcome even physical death. And that's what he is saying. Uh, and he, like, See, end of 40, I will, uh, whoever it is, the father's will that everyone who looks at the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. Okay. Um, Okay, so the next section intensifies. The Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, 52. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Things were probably going fine until Jesus said the word flesh at the end of 51. I mean, I don't know, they weren't going fine, but they got a little more intense, right? Um, and because he's, he's sort of switching a metaphor because there's no time that a biblical author that I've been able to find talks about bread as flesh, like bread is bread. And that's kind of, you know, everybody gets it, like it's a metaphor, but actually Jesus has a, a physical body with flesh. And so this opens a different question To them, And so Jesus responds in a way that really uh, ups the ante. And it's, um, of course, they're taking him. He's speaking probably, I suggest to you metaphorically. uh, They're taking him literally. And yet, uh, maybe it's not exactly literal or metaphorical. So I just, I'm going to read this section. And I just warn you, I just want to say, if you haven't read this before and you're just coming in now, I'm glad you're here. There are some pretty, you know, you could be offended by this. It feels, it sounds kind of gross. And that, I think that's the point. Jesus is trying to, he does not respect our sensibilities. He cares too much for us and our plight. The problem, the real problem that we have of being estranged from God, that he wants us to hear him and uh, not just think everything's going fine. Um, Okay, so Jesus said to them, 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and that's Jesus, uh, one of the terms for himself, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood blood Remains in me, and I in Him, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. And that word is actually in Greek. It's very tactile, like crunch. It could be translated "who crunches." Um, I mean, he's not—he's not like tiptoeing around. Uh, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Okay. So just a few thoughts on this. I know we need to move on. Um, but I suggest to you that Jesus does not mean this in the literal cannibalistic sense. Uh, how do we know that? Well, in John, uh, Jesus is confident of the eternal life, the life given to those who believe in Him. You can read the, His prayer in John 17 and see that. And yet, in this, the narrative that John provides for us, no person literally consumes Jesus. His body is whole when it's when He dies and it's in the grave, and He is resurrected, and it's and He's intact um, in His new uh, glorified but still physical body, um, or at least, yeah, it has physical characteristics because he can eat things. Um, and uh, okay, so number two, um, and so moving the from just bread into flesh and blood seems to shift the frame to sacrifice and foreshadow Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross as his atonement for the sins for all who would believe in him. And it doesn't anticipate, I suggest to you, Jesus' language of instituting the Lord's Supper, Eucharist or Communion. Um, And so if that uh, third thing, if the imagery is generally offensive to us, probably, I mean, it's kind of, it is offensive to me. It's offensive to me to read it. Like, you know, like it's very graphic. Um, If it's generally offensive to us, in our modern day sensibilities, I suggest to you it was specifically offensive to those people that Jesus was talking to, specifically the Jewish leaders who knew God's law where not only was human sacrifice forbidden, but in Leviticus 17, God had specifically prohibited his people from eating blood. Why? Because blood had been set aside for a holy purpose. It was to preserve the relationship between the righteous God and his often rebellious people. And so I'm just gonna read that as a background for you. Uh, Leviticus 11, I'm sorry, Leviticus, yeah, 11, starting in verse 11. Um, no, sorry, Leviticus 17. Like that was about birds. That doesn't have anything to do with that. 17, um, seventeen, eleven. 11. Uh, Okay, for the life, or starting in verse 10, any Israelite or any alien living among them who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person. This is the Lord speaking through through Moses to his people Israel. Um, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from his people. For the life of a creature is in the blood and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves On the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, nor may an alien living among you eat blood. Any Israelite or any alien living among you who hunts an animal or a bird that may be eaten must drain out the blood and cover it with earth, because the life of every creature is its blood. That is why I have said to the Israelites, You must not eat the blood of any creature because the life of every creature is its blood. Anyone who eats it must be cut off. So that is pretty clear. Do not eat blood. That is bad. It's reserved. It's not because it was bad for you. Maybe that's true. I don't know hygienically. But the reason that God gives there in Leviticus is because it is holy. It is for you to make atonement. Before me. And uh, so I suggest to you uh, that to push into that idea, um, even the, if we're thinking about the Passover sacrifice, which may be in frame, and I'm glad our, our lessons took us there, the lamb's blood was never consumed. It was rather used symbolically to cover the doorpost of the, or the doorway of the house, symbolically saying everyone who's living inside this house is covered with the blood, the sacrifice blood. But to push into that idea behind Leviticus 17, Jesus' life is in his blood. And here's the deal, you and I are so haunted and marred by death that Jesus knows that the solution to our problem is to have not God's life just near us or over us or even on us, but we need it actually inside of us. We need Jesus, the source of all life, to come and live inside of us in an abiding way. And uh, he is the one who is life himself, as we saw in the prologue, uh, one chapter one, verse four. And so that's, I suggest to you, as we reread 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him, just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. So, okay. Um, Gosh, man. All right. A principle, I think that we can take away from this section, lots of things we could learn, but what, what, Is one thing that we can take away. Coming to Jesus requires wholehearted commitment. Coming to Jesus requires wholehearted commitment. The language, especially in that last section, is not passive. Uh, It's not, um, sometimes, I don't know if you've done this, uh, I went to a a Tapa's, I don't know if I'm saying that right, restaurant once, which was awesome, and you get to go and like select the different things that you like and they're all like little things. Um, and that's great. You can try a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, maybe uh, I've gone through the drive-thru. You've gone through the drive through probably. That's um, a way like we get food all the time, right? You stay in your car. Um, they take your money. You check the bag and make sure they got everything right. And then that you wanted and you take it away with you. Um, and there's very little relational commitment with both of those things. And I suggest to you, this is not the way that God invites us to eat at his banquet. He is not wanting a relationship with us where we get to stay in our cars, metaphorically, and just drive through and get a little Jesus, and then we're we're on our way. That's great. Uh, the Son of Man is uniquely approved by God the Father as the source of eternal life and nourishment. Jesus is willing and able to supply abundantly all we need to live. Um, and if we don't have Him, we are facing eternal death. He's our only option. Um, but He doesn't. Jesus doesn't. God doesn't operate in ways that where we can keep God at a safe distance where here I am and then I can roll up my window and then, you know, roll it down when I need it and drive through and get what I want or just order a little bit of that, a little bit of this, um, share our menus, whatever. Uh, to come to Jesus, to be nourished by Jesus is uh, not transactional. It can't be earned. And in fact, it is a lifelong, wholehearted commitment. His blood and his flesh have to be in you and me in order for Him to remain in us. Um, And what does that mean? I'm excited for you to go into your groups and talk about that. Um, But that's a covenant relationship. He's calling us to be in relationship with Him, intimate. And I'm, uh, I'm guessing that if you're like me, this exclusivity that Jesus demands, the intimacy is uncomfortable. I don't like that. You know, if I'm honest with myself, there are parts of my heart that don't like Jesus pushing himself into every part of my life, um, even though that's such an amazing promise, right, that he gives us. So uh, application for those of us who've made the commitment to Jesus already, and I'm assuming many of us in the room are like that. Coming to Jesus requires a whole hearted commitment. That's meant leaving other commitments behind, um, how has God already been increasing your awareness of Jesus' value and claim on you? How have you been able already, by his grace, to push into the commitment that you have for him? Will you thank him for that? Um, that is that is a gift. And we should, you and I, those of us who are in that place, well, should anticipate the commitment to Jesus will not, Decrease. It will increase. As we grow and understand more about who he is, he's not going to want less of us. He's going to want more and more. Um, will you, how do you will respond to that? Is there a, are you looking other places in your life for satisfaction? Uh, are you seeking places of comfort that are not Jesus? Um, those things will not last; those comforts will not last, so I encourage you if you have not committed to Jesus, know what you 're giving up. You are giving up life and flourishing for something that you can 't ever hold on to you 're never going to ever receive goods like the kind of satisfaction that we need um, with looking in other places, even though, uh, and that's why encountering Jesus as he is demands our humility because he always is greater and we are always lesser than we think, even though we have have value in him and he loves us, um, but his call is to come to him in humility. Okay. How are we doing on time? Are we all up? We're up. Okay. Um, Let me right now just, uh, how about I'll just read this section. So it can be rattling in your ears. Um, How about that? From 60 to uh, 71. And then um, I'll pray and then we can go. Does that sound good? Okay. Um, So uh, 59, he said all this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. which up there. You can go and actually see probably the ruins of where that spot was. Um, On hearing it, verse 60, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? that no one can come to me unless the father has enabled me, enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who through the 12, though, oh, sorry, who, though one of the 12 was later to betray him. All right, let's pray and we can go. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us and you call, you know what is best for us. You pursue us in all of our uh, vain efforts and our pride. Uh, Father, would you continue to soften our hearts that we might see Jesus for who he is and respond humbly and rightly and receive the joy and the life that he has um, in increasing amount. Help us in the places where we are still wrestling, where is, his words still offend us, Lord. And um, we pray that you would be with us as we eat and that our conversation would glorify Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.